episode of the Guidehouse Insights Plugged In podcast. If you're not familiar, this is a podcast where we do a deep dive on energy industry topics. We've covered a lot of topics in our first four episodes from automated vehicles to ammonia as a fuel source. I'm Edie Wilson, a research analyst on the Insights Transportation team. You already know me though. This episode, I have a new co-host, Jake Foos, and I'll let Jake introduce himself. Hi everybody, I'm Jake Foos. I'm a research analyst on the Insights Transport team along with Edie. My work focuses more on the electrification and the automation of vehicles, and I have a background in sustainable urban design as well. Very cool. So this week, we're going to speak to Wendy Davis, a senior research analyst on the Guidehouse Insights team, and we're going to talk about her report, Lighting Controls for Commercial and Industrial Buildings. Wendy's research focuses on lighting. She has expertise in lighting technology, lighting measurements and standards, policies influence on the lighting industry and lighting quality, a lot of lighting. Prior to joining Guidehouse, Wendy was an associate professor of lighting at the University of Sydney and a scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. She holds a BA in psychology and physiology from the University of Minnesota and a master's and PhD in vision science from UC Berkeley. Welcome, Wendy. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. When I'm going to kick us off, uh, your work is in advanced lighting control strategies. So could you give us a quick overview of what that means, what's included in that term, what we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So lighting controls encompass everything that would allow someone or some system to manipulate the lighting in a building. And that includes like simple manual light switches, which are, of course, the most common lighting control device. So when we say advanced lighting control strategies, we're referring to usually automated control methods that reduce the energy consumed by lighting in a building or improve the visual environment or hopefully both. And some examples would be like time scheduled lighting where a commercial space might know that, you know, activity in a building starts at a certain time and ends at a certain time. And so the lighting will just adjust accordingly. Occupancy based lighting where the lights will turn on when somebody is present in a space and turn off when they leave. Daylight responsive lighting where areas that get daylight, usually near windows or skylights, the electric lighting will be reduced accordingly and we can save energy that way. And demand responsive lighting which is when a utility has usually a a stressed, when the grid is stressed, the utility can request that buildings reduce their energy consumption and a lighting system can usually dim or in some instances turn off the lights altogether. This is a good intro, but before we get into the meat of the conversation, are there any other important terms that we should keep in mind when we're speaking about lighting? Well, like every um, sort of technical field, lighting has its own vocabulary. But I think for the purposes of this conversation, the only two words that tend to be surprising for most audiences are lamps, which is the term that we in the lighting industry use to refer to what I think a normal person would call a light bulb, so a light source that gets replaced, and luminaires, which is the sort of more technical or professional term for what you probably know as a light fixture or light fitting, depending on where you live. So Wendy, I'm going to ask why we're speaking about lighting controls and not the efficiency of lights themselves. We all move to LED bulbs. I have some right in front of me right now. Why wasn't that enough? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. Of course, we care very much about the efficiency of lights themselves. And at Guidehouse Insights, we do a lot of work on that topic. But right now, we're in an interesting position in lighting in that the deployment of LEDs has been and continues to be really successful. Just like you said, you have LEDs, I have LEDs. I'm sure a lot of listeners have them. And the, that technology is really maturing, which is to say that it is very energy efficient right now. And we're not expecting huge advances in that energy efficiency in the future. We'll probably get some incremental improvements, but at this point, we're looking at sort of a plateauing of what we call luminous efficacy or energy efficiency. But lighting controls can be a new, another really important mechanism for reducing the energy consumed by lighting. I'm sure that most of us, hopefully, uh, were taught when we were young that we should turn the lights off when we leave a room. And that is a strategy that can work really well in a residential space, in your own home. But when is the last time you turned lights off when you went to the store or went to the public library? Like, that's not something you do. That's not something, in most instances, that would be appropriate for you to do. And it's often something that's not even available to you. Like, they don't leave like the light switches by the door for you. So lighting controls can be incredibly important in commercial and industrial spaces for reducing energy consumption. If we think about the types of spaces that we go to, there are times in which they are completely unoccupied and that lighting that just stays on can be really wasteful. There are times at which they're brighter than they need to be often because we have daylight supplementing the lighting. And so these lighting control strategies that we spoke about can be really effective. There has been not a ton, but some like academic research that has demonstrated that we can reduce lighting consumption in say office buildings by you know multiples of 10 percent like up to something like 40 percent by instituting advanced lighting controls yeah and i know that's something that at least was in the guidehouse dc office because when it was a bit more empty when people were beginning to return to the office i remember having to stand up every 30 minutes or so to turn the lights back on so definitely something our offices are implementing I also want to ask, how do building codes and incentives drive this market for lighting controls? Yeah, right now, building and energy codes are hugely important for lighting controls. Some of the more progressive or more strict building or energy codes are requiring more and more use of lighting controls right now. They tend to apply only to new construction. There are some codes and regulations going into effect that will affect retrofits or renovations, but new construction is is almost always, in advanced economies anyway, bound to building and energy codes. Now, for places, which again is, is the majority of places where a renovation or a retrofit isn't covered by a building or energy code, incentives such as utility rebates have been shown to really effectively motivate the adoption of lighting controls. So these are both really important drivers right now for the lighting control market. Can you talk, I've read about these building automation systems or BAS or BAs, or I haven't said them out loud, so I'm not exactly positive what the term is, but these building automation systems that control all this, what they're doing, why they're gaining so much popularity, why I'm hearing about them now. Yeah, I think everybody pronounces that acronym differently. I call it a BAS. Um, And a BAS is simply something that automatically controls a particular building system. So you could have a BAS for lighting, you could have a BAS for HVAC, for security, for fire safety, for all of the different building systems. 
In intelligent buildings, a building management system will often then sort of control all of those individual basses collectively to really optimize the energy performance of a building, improve the health and safety of occupants, reduce um, the operation costs. So as the smart building movement is taking off, lighting controls, this market is benefiting alongside of it because if you are either building or renovating a building and you say, I want to implement, you know, intelligent building controls, you have to really be able to control the lighting. So this is a market that some colleagues of mine in Guidehouse Insights focus very heavily on, and I rely quite a bit on their work to project how the adoption of intelligent building hardware is going to have knock-on effects on the lighting controls industry. Okay. So even though we are an energy-focused podcast and a lot of what we're talking about is energy saving. I am curious to hear some of the non-energy benefits to lighting controls. Yeah. I mean, well, when it comes to lighting, whenever we talk about energy, we have to keep in mind the non-energy side because that's why we do lighting. Like if we wanted to well and truly minimize or even eliminate energy consumption, we just wouldn't light a building, right? That's, that's an easy solution, but then you can't see stuff and that's really inconvenient. Certainly one of the non-energy benefits is simply that you can customize your lighting with lighting controls. If you want a space to be flexible and, you know, work really well for a variety of functions, especially in a, let's say, a commercial space, lighting controls can be incredibly important because the type of lighting that is appropriate for a board meeting is very different than if you wanted to be able to host a social function in a space, for instance. Beyond just sort of that very basic human element, you know, lighting controls can be incredibly useful for minimizing the maintenance costs of a building. And that ranges from, you know, advanced systems that monitor the state of each of the luminaires and can sort of report back so that facilities management staff don't have to do as much kind of manual checking on, you know, the quote unquote health of a luminaire to the fact that LEDs perform better and longer when they are exposed to less heat. So if we dim those LEDs more, they generate less heat and then therefore they last longer. And so we reduce maintenance costs in that way. There is some, and I would call it a growing body of evidence on improved performance or productivity for people that are working in buildings with advanced lighting controls. Um, those are variables that are kind of tricky to measure and quantify. So again, that's something that some building owners find to be a really compelling case and does drive their adoption. But it's a little less straightforward than saying you're going to save X dollars you know, per month in your utility bills. And there's also great potential to influence human health and wellness through lighting controls. There is a, a very strong body of evidence, in my opinion, about the effect of lighting on circadian rhythms. And I think a lot of you know, you guys and your listeners have heard about this in the context of the digital displays that we use, where exposure to short wavelength or blue light at night can often interfere with sleep. And, you know, there's a lot of that sort of stuff. We have the technology and indeed, you know, there are commercialized solutions available where we could tune the lighting to change throughout the day to optimize our circadian rhythm so that we do feel sleepy at the appropriate times. We feel alert when we want to. These are, are much less common than some of the control strategies I spoke about at the beginning of our conversation, but they exist and potentially could become incredibly popular in the future. So Wendy, I got to ask, because I have those LED bulbs and I can control the colors and the timing and the intensity. What should I be putting at so that I'm better at my job? What should I be putting them at <laughs> to improve my workflow on a daily basis? 
Well, um, saying that I, I am very much not a medical doctor and I'm not giving you medical <laughs> advice, there, there's a really strong association with light that has a lot of short wavelength or blue content. So in our context, we would say the, a white that seems quite stark or even a tiny bit blue would be really beneficial early in the day. Alternative, of course, to doing that is to go outside or look out a window. Those are sort of free ways that everybody can do this. And then the other sort of important component would be later in the day and sort of late afternoon, early evening to minimize the amount of exposure you have to those short wavelengths. So there you would want to pick a color that is probably still whitish because you that's usually better for living, but is what we would call warmer. So it might have like a slightly orange cast to it. That usually is a good clue that that you've minimized your short wavelengths. You can't see, but I've been doing it alongside to what you're saying with my lights this whole time, but it's too bright in here. (laughs) (laughs) Too much natural sunlight. And also completely pointless for an audio medium, but you know what? It helped. So I'm sold. I'm sure Edie's sold. Why isn't this a more common thing? So you said that it's common in building codes, but why isn't it a more common thing even in other buildings? Mostly the cost. Lighting control solutions tend to be very bespoke. It, it is customized for your space. So we have not only the cost of the hardware, we have design costs. As uh, you know, the sensors and controllers that we've been discussing get more complicated, we increasingly need to engage with specialist designers that know how to do this. Installation costs can be quite significant. I had done some research earlier, I guess late last year, that was looking particularly at why people seem to bulk at the cost of lighting controls because that is something that's been observed across the industry. And one of the conclusions I drew is that it seems to be related to the fact that lighting controls involve a lot of labor costs and people like there's academic research that shows people in general are much more resistant to spending money on labor instead of like things they can touch. And there also can be quite unpredictable costs because you don't really know until you get, get going. So that's sort of the number one. But another, I think, really important barrier is complexity. And part of the complexity I had touched on, you know, these technologies are increasingly capable, but also that means you need to know somebody who knows how to program them and troubleshoot them and commission them. Um, And there's also the opportunity for things to go wrong. And I think we've all experienced that. I mean, Edie mentioned having to wave her arms around. That's not like normal office behavior. We shouldn't have to do that. I've had a job where if the lights had gone out in the ladies' bathroom, I knew exactly where I had to go stand to wave my arms to turn them on when I walked in the room. That's not really how they should work. The sensors should be aimed such that when I open that door, those lights went on. But things often go wrong with lighting controls and it annoys people. So if you don't have lighting controls, if you just have simple controls like manual switches, you can avoid that. I will say that the waving the arms was kind of a nice, you know, work break. It was a nice stretch, so (laughs) it wasn't too bad. But I also want to ask, when you're talking about the complexity of and the cost of installing these lighting controls, are builders only building new places with these advanced lighting controls, or is there a market for retrofitting places like old factories with them? Yeah. Um, Well, certainly both. We're at a time where 
the retrofit market is actually one that I'm quite excited about because for the longest time, one of the big roadblocks to installing new lighting controls when retrofitting a lighting system was running wires. So all those sensors and devices, they need power in some way. And they usually need to be connected to your light fixture, in which case you, you're running wires. And in buildings that have, say, wood frame walls with drywall over the top, that's inconvenient and messy. But for buildings which are much more common outside the U.S. that are, say, built with poured concrete or brick, it's basically impossible to hide those wires. And so somebody would be faced with the choice of not including new lighting controls or having what is called surface-mounted conduit, which is, I'm sure you've seen it in commercial spaces or industrial spaces, where it's just this often very ugly pipe that's just sort of like tacked onto a wall in kind of random places and the pipe will turn a corner. That's what happens when you need to add wires to an existing building that doesn't have a hollow wall. But the reason why I'm really excited right now is that wireless technology has advanced uh, with respect to lighting controls leaps and bounds in the past several years. And you can get almost any lighting control sort of solution that you want that won't require running new wires. And so there's this very sort of just the practical, you can do it in places you can't do it anymore. There are some within the industry that think eventually we'll use wireless controls for everything, including new construction, simply because we can reduce labor costs, which is something we spoke about before. If you're paying an electrician to run wires, your that hourly rate is there. But if it's a matter of just placing those sensors where you want them to be and then turning them on and doing some commissioning down the track, depending on the details of the project and the labor market that you're in, that can actually be a real money saver. So wireless controls are something I'm very much keeping my eye on. And it's been pretty exciting to see them truly go mainstream over the past few years. So when I'm here at my apartment, I use a wireless control and it works, I'd say 95% of the time. That's fine for me, but in a commercial or industrial setting, it's not really the case. Is that a barrier to its adoption? No more so than... The issue we spoke about earlier is that sometimes just the whole lighting control system doesn't behave as you would expect it to. Certainly the, what I would call professional grade wireless lighting controls are incredibly reliable. If they're installed and commissioned properly, they're they're not giving you sort of the buggy response that you're experiencing at home. They're probably a fair bit more expensive than the one that you're using at home. And so that's kind of that trade-off there. Moving on to a little bit of a different question. I think we've been focusing, or at least I've been understanding this through more of the North America US context. Can you speak to some of the regional differences in terms of adopting lighting controls? Which regions are leading the way? Which ones are lagging a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So our forecasts really across all technologies within lighting are really strongly linked to just construction activity overall. And our forecasts of construction are projecting that the Asia-Pacific region is is really going to generate most of that growth over the next decade. So for instance, with respect to the report that we came together to discuss today, you know, I'm estimating that about half of the global revenue over the next decade for lighting controls will come out of Asia-Pacific. Now, now, North America and Europe, the construction forecast is much more subdued, but this is where we're seeing a lot more progress with regard to building and energy codes and things getting stricter. I had mentioned that some of the strictest or 
we might say most progressive energy codes are applying to retrofits. And the state of California in the U.S. is a really good example of that. If you do a renovation of a certain sort of scope, you are required to meet those sort of energy efficiency requirements that apply to new construction in that state. And there's a lot of exceptions and things like that. So I'm expecting about 25% of global revenue to come from North America and about 20% from Europe for lighting controls over the next decade. And so the sort of obvious omission from that discussion is Latin America and Middle East and Africa. And really that is a function of, again, just relatively low building activity being projected in those regions, as well as given the state of many countries' economic development, there really isn't a priority for, you know, creating codes and requirements for advanced lighting controls. I mean, when you're, you know, struggling to house people, that's just not a priority, which is completely fair. Yeah, that that all makes sense. We're coming close to the end of our conversation, not quite to the end. And I wanted to ask if there's anything related to lighting controls in the commercial and industrial context that you think is important to mention that we might not have mentioned thus far. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that becomes obvious once I say it, but doesn't always occur to people, is because because of these labor issues that I spoke about earlier, the ideal time to install lighting controls is when you're installing lighting. And that can either be during new construction or during a major lighting renovation. So certainly for anybody who is thinking like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I might do that at some point. If you're also planning to say upgrade your luminaires, that's really the time to do it. It's That's when it's most cost effective. It does, cost becomes a much bigger burden if you try to do it sort of independently. But that also creates a bigger kind of existential, perhaps, problem, but something to think about, which is we had started off the conversation by me describing how successful the deployment of LEDs has been. And LEDs last a really long time. That's one of their great attributes. And so given that we haven't had a great deal of advanced lighting control adoption over most of what we might call kind of the LED revolution, it is possible that because the installed base of LEDs is now so large, people won't have these opportunities to install lighting controls. So it's possible that this particular issue is going to really kind of derail the lighting controls market. Of course, you know, regulations and incentives can potentially overcome that, but it illustrates kind of the time-sensitive nature for anybody who thinks this is important and wants to really increase deployment of lighting controls. We kind of can't wait around any longer because the more and more the install base switches to LEDs, the fewer opportunities we're going to have. Wendy, before we let you go, every time we talk to people who have done very deep dives in these kind of topics, I always like to ask, what's the strangest design scheme or control scheme? You know, Everyone has seen something really wacky because we've gone so deep into these topics. And what sort of strange things have you seen? Okay, well, with regard to lighting design, I don't think it would strike very many people as strange. I think a lot of people actually wouldn't notice it. But something that I guess I have the opportunity to point out is that we illuminate things so that we can see them. And sometimes people 
forget that and use lighting as a decorative element, which it absolutely can be in the right context. But I've, I've seen instances where a designer says, oh, it's a little too bland in this area or I need to kind of fill the space over here. And so they add light. But what they end up inadvertently doing is highlighting the bland area. Because when you add light to something, you're basically telling the occupant of a building, look here. So if you really want to minimize attention to something that you find to be either ugly or just uninteresting, the best thing to do is to actually leave it in the dark. So I think that for me, the weirdest lighting design sort of approach I've seen is when people are inadvertently highlighting the worst features of their building. Now, in terms of controls, I think the problem comes from the fact that construction involves many different trades. You know, coordinating all of the parts of a building is is literally people's career. But a lot of these, the designers as well as the installers, aren't adequately paying attention to what the others are doing. So a lighting design or a lighting control plan might be developed quite independently from the security system. And I've seen instances where a sensor, which is to detect, say, the motion of an occupant, which can be really important, will be installed. And a couple weeks later, a security camera will be installed right in front of it. And it turns out that when you put something right in front of the sensor, it no longer works properly. Um, so I think the lesson there is something that, you know, those of us working in the built environment have been talking about our entire careers is the better need to integrate construction and communicate. And there's a lot of interesting work going on in that. In the meantime, I think we all just sort of need to double check everything before we call a job done. I'm sure we've all seen pictures on the internet of the same thing you're talking about and giggle to ourselves and we'll never be done with them. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of memes. <laughs> well, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us here on the Guidehouse Insights Plugged In podcast. If anyone wants to hear more about Wendy's report and forecasts about lighting controls, that report is available on the Guidehouse Insights webpage. And to keep up with the podcast, feel free to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And we look forward to you joining us for the next conversation, which will be published in August. Thank you, Guidehouse, for providing us this platform of discussion and to keep up to date with the larger Guidehouse Insights work. Follow our industry insights blog on the website guidehouseinsights.com. Wendy, thank you so much. Thank you.